Welcome to episode 182A of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg. The long-awaited, much-anticipated return of Maria Sharapova is just over one month away now, with the reduced-to-15-month ban for her positive test for meldonium last year at the Australian Open coming to an end on April 26th. And there's a lot to talk about and a lot of feelings and opinions around the tennis world about how she should be received in her comeback by other players, by fans, and by tournament. One of the biggest sticking points lately has proven to be whether or not Sharapova, who will come back with no ranking to her name, should be given wildcard entries into tournaments upon her return, or if, because of the nature of her offense being an anti-doping violation, she should be made to work from the all the way from the bottom up and given no hand ups or handouts along the way. So we have a packed star studded show for you today, featuring three different discussions I had during the Indian Wells tournament. We will reunite our roundtable from our Sharapova episode last year. This is actually our fourth Sharapova centric episode about this whole doping ban situation she's had in her comeback. So we'll have a roundtable reuniting what we did last year during Indian Wells, returning Sports Illustrated and Tennis Channel star John Wertheim, along with the fabulous French freelancer Carol Bouchard. That'll be our second segment, followed by chat with Russell Fuller, the BBC tennis correspondent, trying to figure out the particularly different British reaction to the Sharapova case and anti-doping in general, and also how that might impact Wimbledon's decision on her wild cards coming up. But first, we're going to start with a conversation with the tournament director of the Porsche Grand Prix in Stuttgart, Marcus Gunhardt. Stuttgart is the tournament where Sharapova will return to action. Her ban ends on the Wednesday, April 26th, and Sharapova has been guaranteed uh, a sort of special exemption, I would say. I don't know if they would say that, but a, but a special exemption to have her tournament start on Wednesday, even though she will not legally, according to ITF doping rules, be allowed to set foot on the tournament site until Wednesday. This has been a contentious point among players who've noticed this, particularly Angelique Kerber spoke out about it during the Indian, her Indian Wells pre-tournament press, which was surprising because both Kerber and Sharapova are sponsored by Porsche. So it's going to be an interesting time. Her comeback will be a lot of press. I know we're already planning to flock to Sukar. It's going to be quite an event. And to sort of get a sense of the event itself and a little bit of the non-Sharapova stuff as well, what's made it such a huge tournament at the WTA Premier level for so many years, let's hear first from Marcus Gunthardt. Marcus, thank you very much for, for joining us here today. Um, I guess first and foremost, just seeing the entry list for Stuttgart, it's uh, incredible as always. And so many top 30 players are in the tournament. And it has to be one of the toughest uh, cuts, cutoffs of any tournament on the WTA Tour. Just if, in a nutshell, people who haven't been there, people who aren't as familiar with the tournament, um, what is it that makes this tournament so attractive to so many top players, do you think? Well, I believe it's the package we offer. Of course, the title sponsor Porsche has a big share in it. The winner's trophy is a, a 911, which I think it's a nice winner's trophy. There are not that many nice winner's trophy in any sports. Yeah. This is for sure a very important factor, but I believe it's also the, the entire package. We try to really make the players feel at home. We offer them a perfect infrastructure of training, uh, courts, uh, the hotel is in walking distance. Uh, it's very convenient. We have great food. I always hear that from the players. We have the best food on the whole tour. 
but one important factor, I believe, is also our spectators. The, the atmosphere in the center court, we have a relatively small, I would say, it's 5,000-seat stadium. It's not a huge, but it's full. It's a full house, and it's an unbelievable atmosphere, which for a player is, is a great uh, experience. And I uh, see every year that the quality of play we, we have in Stuttgart is fabulous because I believe that uh, this, the spectators have a big influence on, on, on this. Uh, so I believe that the entire package we offer is, is actually the, the reason why they come every year. Yeah, I've I've heard you know you see the huge crowds there from the first night, and it's uh it can be a big contrast sometimes to early rounds of other WTA tournaments, uh, even bigger ones, you know, higher designation ones, obviously like Wuhan or some of the ones in the Middle East. I guess is that why do you, why is women's tennis in particular so popular in Stuttgart and in uh, I guess Germany in general, but it's the it's the it's the only sort of premier level tournament in Germany right now. But what is it that makes it so, so successful? I believe, uh, I mean, we had many years without the German hero and we still had good crowds. We had a very successful tournament. I believe it's the way we present women's tennis. Uh, All the spectators who come to the Porsche arena, they they come because of women's tennis. They're not coming because of somebody else. They're they're coming because they want to see women's tennis. And uh, the way we present it, the way we do the walk on court, the gladiators who walk out on the court trying to get them into the right mood, uh, try to get the spectators in the right mood. Uh, again, also for the spectators, that the entire package we offer is, is I believe, the, the, the reason for our success. It's not only the tennis, it's quality in all aspects in the public area because the philosophy is we want the, the spectators to come when we open the doors and stay with us for 10, 12 hours. So we have to offer them something. We have to offer them quality, comfort, activities. We have a practice court in the middle of the public area so they can see the, the players warm up, et cetera, et cetera. So I think this is part of it. And of course, the last few years, we, we got lucky. We had uh, several German players who started to play very well. And now Angie Kerber, obviously, last year finished the season as number one in the world. She had an outstanding uh, season, winning Grand Slams, uh, being in the finals of the Olympic Games, winning the Porsche Tennis Grand Prix. And we noticed that this helps, of course, any tournament in the world, even Grand Slams. If you have a local hero, it's a different story. So I believe this is the combination of how we present the players, the quality of field we present, and of course, now a local hero is number one or number two in the world. I think this is the, the combination of the three which make us uh, very successful. Yeah. Um, obviously, you had, you had an all German final last year too with Siegmund also there. So it's a very extremely good German crowd there. But I want to ask about uh, Sharapova, who's obviously been an important part of the tournament as well in recent years. She's won it three times, she's won, driven three of those uh, trophies as you call them, the 911 cars onto the court. Um, how, how important a, a part of, uh, of the tournament was, was she? And I guess also, I think that she got the, if I'm right, she got the official Porsche sponsorship after she started playing the tournament or after she won it the first time, I want to say. Correct. Yeah. That uh, Maria came the first time. She didn't have any relationship with Porsche. And in fact, it took me a, a couple of years to convince her to come. I always was convinced that if a player wants to win Roland Garros, 
to come to Stuttgart first is a, is a perfect start uh, for the preparation for the clay court season. And it worked perfectly well uh, for Maria. But uh, Maria has been, I would say, very important for the tournament also, because as you said, she won it three times. But it's not only that she won it three times, the way she played, the way she presented herself in Stuttgart was very professional. She was fighting like nobody else. I remember a couple of games. One was the first round match against Lucy Sofferova, which lasted almost three hours. She was on the verge of losing. She turned it around. The atmosphere in the arena was like in a Davis Cup tie. I've never seen anything like this in a first round match. I remember another match, this finals against Anna Ivanovic. Anna played the match of her life, but Maria won it because she wanted to win it. She was fighting until the last, last uh, second. And she left an unbelievable impression in Stuttgart and also with Porsche. And her first victory actually made it uh, possible that she becomes uh, the brand ambassador. So for us, I believe Maria has played a, an important factor in the, the history of the tournament. We have this year, the 40th anniversary. And I believe Maria has played a role in bringing to the Porsche Tennis Grand Prix to the level where we are today. And this is the reason why why we believe that giving her uh, a wild card uh, makes every reason for the tournament. And we are really looking for, forward to this uh, this highlight from the sports side. It's it's a highlight to have Maria play her comeback in Stuttgart, absolutely. Yeah, I've heard other tournaments, and I guess the two Grand Slams that are coming up next, the French Open and Wimbledon, um, directors of them have expressed some uncertainty about giving Sharapova a wild card so far um but for but for you for you know just the reasons of the kind of the positive test she had for the band she's serving there isn't as much precedent for that but for for you giving her a wild card was it a automatic decision or was there any hesitation well i have to say two things first of all uh, regarding her history i mean it was proven that she had not on purpose right. cheated it mm -hmm. was uh, black on white white it is written by the cause. Yeah. That's the first thing. The second thing is she immediately assumed responsibility. She was standing in front of the media herself and said, listen, guys, I've made a mistake. And I think this is has to be uh, very respected. Uh, not everybody has done that. Not every athlete who uh, was caught has done something like this. Yeah. But the third uh, thing is she has been out of competition for 15 months. So she has done her uh, penalty. And I believe uh, an athlete like her has every right to come back to the sport. That's the first thing. The, the second part, as I said before, uh, on, from the point of view of Porsche Tennis Grand Prix, she played an important role in the history of the tournament as a three-time champion, as a world superstar. She has helped to, to make the tournament more successful. So for me, it was very clear from the beginning that yes, I think Maria deserves this wildcard. Of course, we had internal discussions because it's not such an easy decision because if you give Maria a wildcard, you obviously have one wildcard less for a German player. But I believe uh, we have all the right arguments and I stand 100% behind this decision uh, that Maria uh, gets this wildcard. Have you, have you spoken to any other tournament directors about this or, or would you, you know, the French Open president FFT has uh, talked about it or Wimbledon or would you ever, you know, at, or has anyone come to you asking questions about your decision uh, inside tennis and would you advocate for uh, 
Maria being included in other tournaments as well, because there are still quite a few big decisions, a few big question marks about how her return is going to go in terms of the wild card she's going to need in these first few weeks that she comes back. No, nobody has discussed this with me. And if somebody would and ask my opinion, I mean, I cannot take a decision for a French Federation. Sure. I mean, they have to consider all their uh, requests. They have a lot of French players probably who want the wild card. So it's up to them to take their uh, decision uh, based on how they see Maria's role in the history of the Grand Slam, of the Roland Garros. Again, uh, we took the decision based on what uh, Maria did for the Porsche Tennis Grand Prix. It's not even a business decision because we we are in a very uh, lucky position. We are almost sold out every day. We have basically 80 tickets which are left on the market on the the Wednesday when uh, Maria is scheduled to play. So it's definitely not a a business decision. It's a decision we believe uh, uh, that Maria has done a lot for us and she deserves deserves it. And I think this is, but every tournament has to look it uh, on its own. It's not our decision or we cannot influence this this decision. It's it's a different story for every single tournament. Um, you mentioned Wednesday, which is the day that her, her ban expires and that's the day she's coming back. And I think when I saw the initial cast decision come out in October, I believe when I saw the date that she was coming back, I sort of assumed, and I think a lot of people assumed, that she wouldn't be able to play that week, that it would be too late for her to play um, with a, with a you know with a ban with her ban still continuing on Monday and Tuesday with the draw being out at a tournament by then and some of the first rounds already starting um, and you've arranged it so she's going to have this Wednesday start and be able to play. But I guess when you first saw the ban, did you realize? Did you think the same thing that it would be impossible at first and only realize later that you could get it approved, or or was the what was the uh, timeline on just realizing that? she actually might be eligible for Stuttgart. I personally always believe that she will be able to play because simply this is very common practice. I mean, if you look at the last few years, Porsche Tennis Grand Prix, we have years where we almost have no match we can play on the Monday because of Fed Cup. Mm-hmm. So we split our first round matches always between Tuesday and Wednesday. And uh, so this is a very common practice. So for me, it was from the beginning very clear that I didn't see any reason why she could not be allowed to play. Of course, the WTA looked into it, and uh, I'm pretty sure that every single lawyer who works for the WTA looked into this from every different angle, not to to commit a mistake. And yes, of course, I was happy to receive finally the, the green light from the WTA. But again, in my opinion, this is not a it's not a special arrangement or a special rule which had been created for Maria. It's common practice. I mean we had last year five matches which were played, first round matches which were played on the Wednesday. So I don't see any difference to this. Obviously it's a different situation for Maria. She can only walk on our center court on the same day she plays. But besides that, there is nothing unusual to it. Yeah, and I guess but that is I guess it is sort of a special situation though with having a player who you know in advance can can't is not eligible to play in the first two days of the tournament. You have to sort of arrange the draw around them. And I guess the question is sort of would is this an arrangement you think you would have made for any player? You know, if any, I know I think like Barbara Stritzova is I think the last sort of WTA player I can think of to get a, a ban before this, and hers was only f- a few months. 
but would you have, do you think you would have been able to arrange, oh yeah, sure, you can get a, a Wednesday start and tell you this, uh, you know, four months in advance for any player, or is it maybe more possible because Maria is a, a big star and a three-time champion and a Porsche brand ambassador that makes it more easy to, or Absolutely more, more no. important to do this? No, because uh, first of all, because it is, is, is Maria, everybody is looking very closely to this. Whatever is done, I mean, it will be scrutinized by everybody, so which another player maybe would not uh, create this, this interest. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, we in general, we always try to, we, we get every year players' requests to start late because a, we have the situation that we have a Fed Cup weekend, uh, just the weekend before the tournament. So a lot of players are arriving late. So you can imagine they're all asking for late starts. And we try always, independently of the ranking of the player, to accommodate them. Because it's in our interest that they feel fit, that they, they, they perform well, and that they come back. So I have no interest uh, to force a player to go out on court when the player is not ready. So this is a, a common Policy. Of course, we cannot always accommodate the play because we need some matches on the Tuesday. But this is not, again, this is, in my opinion, nothing unusual and has nothing to do with the name Maria. And it's nothing which has been arranged. It's a common practice. And uh, according to the WTA, is according to the rules. So it's no special agreement or arrangement for a Maria Sharapova. I guess just last thing I, I was talking, Kerber was, Angelique Kerber was in her... Uh, pre-tournament press here in India Wells, and she just said that the Wednesday start was a, a strange situation. It's the word she used in her mind, and I guess just it just in general. No, I think what what she what she said was it's strange, of course, and that's what I said. But I yeah. think it's strange for Maria to not be allowed to walk on the center court until the day of her match. This is really strange yeah, that she sure. has a first round match on the Wednesday. This is, has, is yeah. absolutely normal. This is nothing strange. But, but I guess it's it, the fact that Maria is not allowed to come on site before her match. That's very strange. Yeah, absolutely. No, for sure. I, I guess just in general, though, how sensitive are you to the fact that other players um, might be maybe confused or, or critical of this situation and just managing? Because obviously... Maria is an important player for Portugal. You have 30 other players in the tournament as well to uh, care about and make sure that they are not left unhappy by how this is handled. So have you have you had conversations with other players about this and, and how will you handle that going forward? Me personally, I haven't because I haven't been really to tournaments, so I don't, I'm not personally in touch with a lot of players. I believe it's uh, normal that uh, some players are supportive, others are critical. I think this is very natural. It's like spectators will support be supportive, others, others will be uh, critical. I believe you have to look at the facts, which I mentioned. I believe uh, Maria has every right to come back. And from the point of view of the Porsche Tennis Grand Prix, again, I believe she deserves it. So if when the players are coming to Stuttgart, I'm getting involved in discussions with players, maybe, I'm not worried about it because I believe I have the right arguments, which doesn't mean that the others have to have the same opinion. But I believe uh, I believe in in our decision, and I believe it's the right decision. And I think we we are we are not hiding anything, and we have not tried to do bend laws or rules. Or it, Porsche has nothing to do in this at all. It's a pure pure decision from me as a tournament director together with my uh, team. 
because again, I believe uh, the bases are there that uh, Maria is important for the tournament, has played a role in her in the past, and she deserves to come back. And I think we we also uh, like to offer our fantastic spectators this uh, highlight, and it's a highlight to have Maria see on her comeback in Stuttgart absolutely no absolutely and I'm, I know a lot of people are very much looking forward to the tournament and very excited to see who she draws first round and everything like that so it should be a lot of fun and uh, Marcus thank you for being here and best of luck with the uh, tournament thank you very much thank you pleasure is on my side Danke Marcus and now to zoom out from the Stuttgart perspective a bit we reunite three quarters of the round table we had last year sadly Simon Cambers wasn't in Indian Wells this year so he couldn't rejoin us but I am rejoined by John Wertheim of Sports Illustrated and Tennis Channel and Carol Bouchard for a wide-ranging chat on all sorts of issues, Sharapova, all the questions raised, what answers we've gotten, what answers we haven't, and so on. Very happy to be rejoined for this reunion segment of the show for our redoing our roundtable with two of the three people who joined us me last time, John Wertheim, Sports Illustrated and Tennis Channel here, Carol Bouchard, French media, multimedia superstar. <laughs> uh, I guess let's just start with you, John, I guess from we don't remember exactly what we said last time but overall what are your impressions if anything has your thoughts on this case changed since we were a year ago you know last year all we knew was there was an ugly carpet and that there was a positive test <laughs> and we've gotten a lot more details on all sides the itf decision came out in july the or june and then the uh cast ruling came out in october i guess where, how, how has this landscape shifted for you as we're now getting ready for maria's return next month it's a good question. I, I can't even con- confirm the carpet is still ugly. I mean, I'll, I mean, a lot has obviously changed, and we know more detail. We've had a hearing. We've had a an, an appeal that I don't think quite repudiated the ruling as as comprehensively as, as maybe we were led to believe. It was still a pretty significant. Uh, I don't want to say reversal, but uh, that that was a, a fairly significant uh, appeal. I still think there's a lot we don't know, and whether it's meldonium and the science or whether it, you know, why why maria hasn't didn't list this on her forms which seems to be a, a vexing issue we seem to be now in the pr phase so maria will have served her 15 months which i, I think on balance is probably fair i mean i think sort of given the context and extenuating circumstances four years unduly harsh two years very much at the harsh end she should have served something, and she did. And I think now we're sort of at this phase where there's still questions that hang out there, but we've really moved on to the publicity phase and the restore my reputation phase. You know, if you had told us a year ago she was going to serve 15 months, there were going to be some unanswered questions on both sides that never got fully resolved. I would say, yeah, that sounds about right. So I don't think there's been any great miscarriage of justice one way or the other, but I think now we're at the phase of you realize that once the suspension lapses, there's still work to be done and still a narrative. And we seem to be now at the point of sort of how's this comeback going to go in terms of ranking points and forehands and backhands and wins, but also how's this going to go in terms of image restoration? Carol, same question. How about you? What gets biggest changes for you in this whole year that this case has sort of stayed on the radar? That's, okay, that's a good question. Like, as John said, I think yes, we're more on the comeback trail right now. Uh, maybe some things are unanswered, but I doubt we'll ever get an answer about them. So now it's more about how she feels when she comes back, what's the reception in, in the locker rooms, what's her level. Um, and 
what kind of attitude is she going to have? Because I feel like people hope she's going to come back and say, I'm so sorry again, I'm going to be different. But I don't think she feels this way because she has this appeal judgment saying she basically she, she didn't cheat. Yeah. She that was negligence. Uh, and she, she got through a ban in a pretty, you know, decent way. She was very public. She acknowledged her mistakes. So I think Maria is going to come back wanting to be Maria and winning and, you know, be, be the boss on the court. And that's why I'm, I'm curious to see how the local room is going to react to that because she doesn't feel she did anything wrong, basically. Yeah. And people are, maybe that's a miscommunication where are hoping, they are thinking maybe she did something wrong and hoping she will say sorry. That's not going to happen. I think people, you know, traditionally want the offender to come back sort of hat in hand, you know. Know, just saying, yeah, right, right. and yeah, that's that's not Sharapova style whatsoever. That's not Maya, and also that's not what the cast has said. So you can't yeah. you can't judge this case as you want it to be judged. There's judgment. There's been an appeal. There's been a decision. So it's also a bit harsh to come and say, yeah, okay, put this aside. This is what I think. That's not what, that doesn't work like this. I think it's interesting. My main sort of takeaway is just how different and i didn't really this didn't really click for me until this week when i was writing another yet another article sort of summing up what happened in this case in a, the reintroduction paragraph or background paragraph is that the itf independent tribunal quote unquote independent and cast came to pretty much the same conclusion which is that she had unintentionally broken this rule but the way they phrased that were just so different i mean cast she, she, she was the sole author of her own misfortune is what the itf said pretty vindictively and there were a lot of just sort of like if you want to call them cheap shots or just like clear shots taken at, you know, Max Eisenbud and does he really need to sit by a poolside to be able to review this list and whatever, you know, sort of mocking they did of their defense. It just seemed unnecessary. Um, and then Cass kind of went out of its way to soften it, but this verdict was the same that, you know, they both think she's an unintentional cheater. Um, I, I'm with you. I think two, I think two years was too harsh or definitely on the har- harsh end of the scale because I, I still just think if you think she's an unintentional cheater, she just missed this rule change. This seems to be agreed upon by everybody that she missed this rule change and kept taking it for longer. And then there's parallel cases with like Lepchenko, who yeah, right. stopped, who stopped taking, who stopped taking same, same fact pattern, different PR exactly. strategy. And, so, and who stopped taking the pills according to her on the December 30th, which is, you know, three weeks earlier or something and served no time and didn't own up to it right away at all. Kept, you know, playing, you with, know, with a positive result. Right. With know. a positive result. And she got a silent band and didn't come forward like Sharapova did. 15 months is a serious oh, ban. Yeah. Like some people are acting like, yeah, people are acting like she's coming back after two weeks and no, no, she, 15 months without playing for a reputation for the game, for a career. It's damaging. So she served, she was punished pretty heavily. One, one aspect of this that I think is interesting, um, you talk about this disparity between the ITF tribunal and then Cass appeal and something I, I was told this, I don't know, I'm playing middleman here, but the tribunal has this knowledge, they're quote unquote independent, but as you, you put it in air quotes first, yeah. people can't see that. They know context, they know players, they know everything, they know players history, they know tennis players, they know how this circus works. Cass is a, a little more by the letter since they don't know the cast of characters and they don't understand tier ones versus tier twos and what, you know, management agencies roles are and all this. So they had the same set of facts, but a much different context when they assess those facts. And it did seem to work to Maria's detriment that the independent tribunal seemed to know tennis and the choreography and the cast of characters a little more. I mean, they, they would know what an agent in tennis does in a different way than cast yeah. would. And that's, that's, it was explained to me. That's one reason how, the same fact pattern led to such different conclusions. It almost felt to me also like the, the tribunal felt like it had something to prove. 
you know, ten, with tennis having yeah, this reputation. They hear, they hear this, the whispers. Yeah, they hear the whispers of, every, oh, everyone's cheating and they can't catch anybody and they're never going to catch a big star. And it seemed a little bit like making an example out of Maria. And I think there was the comment from the WADA guy who was like, you know, you know, she has makes more money than our whole budget and sort of, right, blo- right. you know, um, bragging about that or boasting about that in that way. And I think it just came off, again, more sort of vindictive or more sort of with an axe to grind. And if again, if the yeah. fact patterns were the same in both cases, which is the interpretation, the framing of it was was very different and, and more more or less uh, damning. So I, I guess to move on to the next step, uh, which has been the big conversation this week, is the wild cards, which is now now we're getting the reality of her being a player on entry list pretty soon. The Stuttgart entry list came out yesterday or this morning, uh, and a lot of top 30 players are on it. And then there's four wild cards, and we already know one of them is going to Maria Sharapova. Uh, Carol, I'll start with you. Uh, I guess, well, let's start with wild cards as an abstract topic, and then we'll get to Stuttgart yeah. in particular, because there's that's where it gets messy with this whole Wednesday thing. But the idea in general, Carol, of, of Maria Sharapova getting, com- getting wild cards while her ranking is not good enough, are you okay with that? Are you not okay with that? Certainly there's a range of opinions among players. <laughs> and everybody. Everybody has limits. Right. Everybody has. Honestly, I'm quite okay with that. If you take the judgment into consideration, then negligence she did a you know she did a, a ban that's someone that gave a lot to tennis that's someone who's been out there since what one decade two decades playing tennis half, she yeah. made the tour win and those tournaments win a lot of money at some point you can hear the argument saying tournaments they want her the fans want to see her it's a big storyline and tournaments do what is good also for their pocket and also she maybe deserves the respect that her career resume is asking if you want to give her a second chance and say, okay, you you did a mistake, get your ban. Now we give you end of that. It's like everybody for them, it's a win-win situation. I mean, Maria gets to play; that's good for her. They get to to show her matches. The ratings are going to be fabulous. Everybody's going to be happy, sponsorized, and the fans. So and also, it's not like she's coming back. I don't know from. EPO no. or Rosamond no. or whatever. We don't know. We still don't know exactly if what the does does anything, does anything. Yeah, We don't know. You, so you really the science. if you get yeah, if you look at a resume and who she is, you're like, you know what? Why not? I'm not shocked by that. John, same same thought. Question I, to you. You see it both ways. I mean, I think I I very naively perhaps suggested that Maria would win this. PR battle if she said I appreciate your wild card, but uh, I think I'm going to try and earn my way back. It seems only fair that that might be a little naive. I, I mean, I think. Look, I think I think the letter of the law is is clearly on her side. I think from a PR standpoint, this whole, I mean, this whole case in some ways was predicated on, on sloppiness and dates and this elasticity. Like, why would you then re-enter that same realm by playing this game of the tournament starts on a Wednesday in my match? I mean, it just seems like you're asking for trouble. But don't, don't you yeah. differentiate I, between slams and events? Though? Yeah, so. Totally, that's... totally. That's a different topic. And also, maybe we're not living in a, in a bubble. It's a business. It's a Porsche tournament. She's a Porsche ambassador. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, they're realistic. And yeah. and the rules seem to have been in sort of a gray area that was allowing that. So if it's allowed, it's allowed. But I agree that maybe the discussion is more about the slams because she's going to have to earn her way back, whatever. She has no ranking. If she's losing first match, first one Stuttgart, Madrid, Rome, she's still nowhere in, in the ranking. And yeah. do people really imagine Sharapova playing a, a future in terms of practical things like security that's what or Andy whatever? Murray was saying. Andy would say that's, she would overwhelm a 10K no, if she showed up there. That seems to be complicated. Yeah. So the slam is another story. 
and I wouldn't like to be in the French Open's place because that's a two-time champion. Yeah. That's somebody, again, people want to see play, and then you have the anti-doping and the message you may want to to give to, you know, the whole two and, and people. But again, you have this cast judgment. So you are you really going to make the good decision here? It's it's really, really extremely tough to say. I agree completely with what there's obviously so many balls, so many different moving parts of the story. But I agree with what you said a lot in that it matters a lot. This was not EPO or human growth right. hormone or some hardcore nandrolone, whatever the sort of classic cheater Tour de France style drugs are that we're used to hearing about. This was something, you know, over the counter medicine with unknown benefits if it is maybe marketed a little bit as maybe vaguely enhancing things and that's why and that's why they banned it and it was in a lot of an, a suspicious amount of russian athletes uh wada dropped the ball with the uh whatever you call it the numbers on in terms of testing and how fast it leaves your system and they undid a lot of different positive tests and bans and that's what happened with lepchenko and this other guy the uh belarusian doubles player whose name i'm blanking on um i think that matters a lot in terms of it but i also agree with i think you said it that I think the dream, if I was doing PR for Sharapova or like, you know, crisis management, I would push for her to ask for a qualifying wild card for the French qualifying Open. Card, and then you go play qualifying, you win easily, you win story. easily, right. you play your matches on bull ring or something, they open up some slightly bigger court for you. Uh, they have the security to do it, unlike Roehampton. Wimbledon will yeah. be tricky because Wimbledon does not have the facilities no, to have a big star at Roehampton. French Open, they play it on site, they can do it. And... I think it would work. It would earn her a lot of goodwill. You know, it's not saying, is, hey, I'm really waltzing back much, in. I mean, I think yeah. that's largely what this is about right now. Yeah. And we're, we're back at what Maria thinks about that case. You know, if she thinks, and I think that's her point of view, I served my thing, I did nothing wrong, I've been a superstar on that tour, asking for a qualifying would still mean, okay, I, I did something wrong, and... I'm not sure that's the point where she is, but that could be but a middle she point. Can, she can, she can fake that. it. I mean, yeah, she can exactly. do it cynically. No, but that, that right. could be. That could be. You know what? That could be a way for the French Open to get out of exactly. trouble. That could be the middle way. I think. I think it works for everybody. Worst way. case scenario, she lost. It would still be this yeah. magnanimous gesture, and it just didn't yeah. feel right to me. And I still take so much issue with this decision. And she can still point people to the paragraphs on the cast decision. Yeah. That could be the middle way. But that's, it's. That's um, no, I mean, well, there, there are a million and one dimensions to this, but we know at the French Open right now there's going to be a French player that was denied a wild card who's going to say, I was depending on this $40,000 to prolong my career, to pay for gas in my van, and she's out there with her private yeah. jet. I mean, we all can predict yeah. how this is going to go down. Although I will say, and Carol, you can probably answer more of the depths, depths of French tennis. I remember thinking during last year's tournament that the French female wild cards were terrible. I mean, they were, it was a, it was a pretty sorry yeah, lot of them. I there have, was a double bagel served yeah. up by Wang Chang against one of them. I have a point, on, I have Remo. A point on on the wild card in Grand Slam. I mean, it's a Grand Slam, so I agree that you have to help the young talent, but the young talent. You don't have to give people wild card just because it's going to earn them money. The other factor in this is that Schiavone will also likely need a wild card this year at the French oh, Open, and is retiring. So this and a beloved player? former champ is in the mix, yeah, so taking up another French one possibly. This whole wild card at Grand Slam that's tricky, but. At some point, do the best for the tournament. What is the best for the tournament and not what's the best for the nice, probably, person of the French tennis that you want to help? Because there are other tournaments to, to do That's that. True. And at some point, you have to be in a Grand Slam door, you have to be good. But at the same time, the tournament doesn't need Fiona Farrow or whoever this player is who's going out. 
I mean, I mean, just I'm serious. Compared to the U.S., let's say right now at this moment, and the women's side, we France have doesn't have. Yeah. There, there's a larger discussion yeah. about yeah. wild cards yeah. in general, of course. And whether these and the collusion of it, yeah, yeah, exactly. And the, the swapping and the fact I hate that the swapping. you know, if if you need if a Stuttgart event needs Maria Sharapova to boost their draw, that's one thing. Does you know, she get a reciprocal wild card yeah, for a German into Kremlin Cup. Yeah, right. Say. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, but Madrid and Rome were interesting. Like, I mean, it's a business. They all know. Uh, what are we going to want to see in April, May? Honestly, we want to see Maria Sharapova come back on the tennis court right. and see if she can still play among the best and all the, the relationships. It's, it's entertainment too. You and know? also, and also, and, and just to, you know, take, and this is what I'm sure Maria, and this is what Steve Simon said a little bit when I talked to him about it. Just, take the Maria side of things. She's coming off a ban for something that was deemed unintentional. Yeah. Justine Ennin came, right. got raw cards when she unretired. Kim Kleister's got wild cards when she unretired. Martin if it, if it, Martin Hingis, yeah, and Martin Hingis had a ban and yeah. got wild cards into doubles when she came back. It's not, is it drastically different I think it's just deep. because of the word yeah. doping can you be know, attached to it, even if it's could, unintentional doping. I could be wrong, but what makes it different maybe is Maria's aura and personality. You know, that it, at some point for me, it looks personal. It's it's re- it's she's reaping what she sowed in terms of pissing, in terms right. of not making friends in the locker room. Don't you think uh, her country of origin is a dimension yeah. of this story? It was a bad yeah. year for Russians. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're sure. coming from, I mean, whatever, whether or cautious to make differentiations, but this is a country that had basically state-sponsored systematic yeah. doping protocols. Which there's no indication um, she was part of. No, that's, what I'm, that's but, the point yeah. I'm trying to make. But I think when people, if, if she were from Argentina, do we wring our hands quite as intensely? No. Yeah, but the thing, Maria hasn't been presented that much Russian since... The Meldonia was the, the most Russian she's ever been. Ever. It's like bizarre prescription drug available only. Be- They're not prescription, that, over-the-counter drug. Before that, she was, you know, uh, how do you say that in English? In Sochi, she was holding the... Um, Torchbearer. The Torchbearer. Yeah. And people were like, peace. Oh, is she holding that torch? She's a fake Russian. She's so American. So it, it can work both yeah. ways. But I agree that the Russia gate kind of things probably don't help her either. Let's get to the one, the thorniest of the wild guards, which is Stuttgart in particular. This Wednesday start situation. When the, when the ban got handed out... Oh, sorry, when the cast decision got handed out and this new date emerged of, I want to say April 26th on top yeah. of my head, whatever the Wednesday is in that week, everyone looked at it and said, oh, she'll be able to play the next week. Nobody right. thought that Stuttgart was on the table. Nobody know. thought no. this. I didn't Spirit versus letter. And I, I think I, and the WTA website an article had a, a you know, frequently asked questions about Sherpa's comeback, and it said on there the tourist position at that point was, you know, she'll be able to play the next week. I, and I just, yeah. You know, it's, it's not crazy that a high seed – at a tournament, even a wild card, a draw would have a Wednesday start. And they have, you know, had, like and they have had, they have had first rounds on Wednesday. Yeah, that's what I'm there. saying. It's a, so, my my point is just this whole, you, you sort of this this whole controversy. If we're going to say that we're we all seem to be in agreement, this was not flagrant cheating, but yeah. this was more a question of sloppiness and gray area and and forms and timing. Why would you go back into that realm? I mean, why why wouldn't you just say, you know what? If I go by the letter of the law, I could play Wednesday, but it just, it, it, for optics' sake, we're going to give it a week. This is the first time, this the Stuttgart start was the first time where I really felt like they were opening themselves up, put charitably, opening themselves up to accusations of incredible star treatment. Can you ma- I can't imagine them doing this for Stritzova, who was the last WTA player who got a doping bit. No, but seriously, especially because she was not even a top 20 player back when she got it. Um, she, you know, served four months. I think she actually might have come back in Stuttgart or around Stuttgart. And just but giving someone, you're not allowed on site until yeah. Wednesday. Not, not even like, yeah, right. she can't even pick up a credential right. until yeah. Wednesday morning and then she plays. So she'll be practicing off-site of course, somewhere. No, She'll be in the draw yeah. but not eligible to step yeah. foot. She'll be like, would be 
whisked off the premises if she showed up. It's just a bizarre we situation that I can't see them making for a rank and file player. No, we if they were doing that this. looks bizarre and the optics can yeah. be can be bizarre. The thing is, you're the tournament director. You find this loophole maybe in the in the yeah. in the rule. You're the Porsche Stuttgart Grand Prix and you have one chance to be the first tournament played by Maya Sharapova after her ban. Honestly. Who I don't blame who, them for trying. Who, who have resisted other, uh, that? Who we, have resisted we've that? We've talked about other players who yeah. in my experience there's a lot more resistance and unhappiness than might be conveyed and I've had a number of yes. players say off record, off record, off the sure. record sure. say things very differently than what they've said. Yeah, completely. Um, you know, if you're Stuttgart and players are lining up from Kerber to Murray voicing their displeasure with this, that that might impact I you. think, yeah, Kerber was, spe- was the most shocking one to be outspoken because she's also a well, Porsche sponsor yeah. and she's, I mean, she's just, I guess, resentful first and foremost. I don't know if she ever likes Sherpa or not, but that a German is losing a wild card opportunity. I think really? Cornet had... Well, because the WTA tweeted out something that's like oh, yeah. a, a quote and there was, uh, there were quotes in the, in the round tables and the all access were all over the place. You can make whatever kind of story you wanted by picking and choosing those quotes. And the one WTA tweeted out was like something I think it was from Kuznetsovar that was said like tennis needs Maria and they, that was their sort of headline and Cornet said you know basically are you fucking serious with this you know just you know yeah no it's true and they deleted the tweet and Cornet no, deleted her tweet it's a different for different reasons but to back at the power of Maria the Maria never had a lot of friends in the locker room players have always complained about her the shriek the whatever she didn't she doesn't care she and made so much more money than all of them and it's it doesn't it. it doesn't even hurt her tournaments. They never come to, uh, to Maya saying, oh, the players are not happy about you. Can you do something? Nobody, nobody cares. So that's a different reason, of course, more serious one. But it's Maya's power against the local room isn't happy. And I'm and, not sure what's going to happen. But we're not going, going above and beyond. Maria was also, in my experience, dealing with her media, was always perfectly totally. friendly and professional with me, was punctual more than most for press we conferences, was gave full, gave full, at least thoughtful answers. And so from inside the, inside, the work mechanisms of the sport in terms of tournament directors, I think tournament directors probably have fond feelings of her compared to her. That's, that's a and, media, and media does too. I mean, she, yeah. she makes a commitment. She honors it. I mean, I yeah. think there's a level of professionalism. I I think too the state of women's tennis is a, is a factor in this. Yeah. You know, Kerber's ranked number one and is having trouble winning matches. Serena hasn't played since Australia. Who knows when we're going to see her again? If, if this were a different Kvitova's era... Out. Vika's out. Yeah, right. Kvitova's out. Vika's out. Ivanovic retired. If, if, and I think Maria's going to come back. Yeah. I, mean, I, I see this going Vika sort of too. one of two ways. Yeah. Vika's out. But yeah. if, if the field were different, do you think the reception would be different? Oh, sure. For, well, that's not for the same reason. Even if Vika has maybe also rubbed some players the wrong way, the reason for, for her absence wasn't the same. But I think, Ben, you, you had the good point on this. The advantage of Maria in this story is that she has been the utmost professional with the two medias and tournaments. Right. So they, they don't have any resentment of, of saying that's, we're going to help you. That's where her goodwill is. That's where exactly. she's cashing goodwill is on this side of it, if exactly. not the locker room well, side. Sponsors know she's reliable. Yeah. I mean, yeah. pri- prior to this, there hadn't been a whiff of conflict. Exactly. Yeah. Also, maybe that I'm playing a bit like an advocate here, but you sh- maybe it's also a re- not a reward, but you should be able to say, okay, we are going to help her because for the past ten years she's been pretty perfect and she needs a second chance. I know that not all all players are going to agree, but that's also the the way out for those tournaments, saying we don't have anything to reproach her. Yeah. Basically. I I I agree. I think I think just in terms of the goodwill. And I think if she came out and said, I am, even if she didn't wind up doing it, said, I am willing to play French Open qualifying. 
something along those lines saying, I will do this. If that's what I get, totally. great. I'm willing to work my way back. I recognize I have no ranking. I looked at Troy. I looked at Troy. Right. And, and it'll be no problem. I'll, I'll dust off these, these, you know, 200 ranked players. It shouldn't be an issue. And seriously, I mean, the qualifying matches should not be a problem for her. She's training very hard. She looks totally healthy as far as we can tell in terms of her long-term injuries. Um, Troitsky was the last big player to come back from a long ban. He, I think he got like 11 and a half months or something. And so he had, he had a, he had a little bit of ranking. He was ranked like 500, 600 yeah, when he came you know, back. You know what he did to come back? He played he, weeks he played, in, right? weeks he out. Like, like, yeah, and, and, he, and, he, and he played qualifying or challengers. I, I counted. The same age, too. Yeah, but yeah. She, she was getting some he really played, injuries before the ban. And I don't think your body is going to end up playing weeks he, in weeks He played like qualifying or challengers 13 times in his comeback, Troitsky. Yeah, yeah. He got two wild cards. He got a wild card into, I think, Gestad and to Beijing. And I think Novak Djokovic has connections in Beijing. They probably got him that one. Hmm. Um, but it's, uh, it's he, he worked back. And I think just Maria even indicating that she's not, doesn't think she's above it. I mean, because she will be, when literally, when the rankings come out, she'll be a, literally above no one. Sure. She'll be at That's zero. That's why when they say, oh, she needs to earn her way back. She has no ranking. She's going to have to work for it. Yeah. Whatever. So, you know, it's not, like, people are not saying, oh, you have a special ranking and you're coming back to your top 10. No, you have an invitation to try to have points. Let's, let's switch to the encore then. What do you expect from her results was? This That's is a, a, this is a player who's won the French Open, you know, two times in the last really several years. I think, I mean, when we talk about how open it is, I, I would not rule out best case scenario French Open title for Sharapova this year. As awkward as that would be for everybody, uh, no, I wouldn't rule it out. I have a list of... Uh... Who, who would you pick to be? You, you think uh, Kerber and you, you, put, you put Angie Kerber and Maria Sharapova on a clay court this afternoon. Yeah. I wouldn't pick Kerber. I wouldn't either. And Pliskova's also no good on clay, and she's the one player who's playing well now. Svitolina's a good yeah. player who likes clay, but other than and she's still fit Svitolina. I mean... My only question mark yeah. is as a body, because she, she wasn't that healthy when she stopped. Was it like bad luck, or was it a sign that after years and years... It Injuries started, were picking up a yeah. lot. So, so if she's healthy, yeah. I agree that she's going to come back strong. She has still the modern game. There's nobody out there except Serena who, uh, who has been like dominating like crazy and with a game that we think, oh, Maria can't deal with it. So if she's healthy and she can play a lot of tournaments, yes. But if the if it's big for me. Well, my only thing is, I, I think this goes one of two ways. Either she's been off 15 months, she's cleared her head, she's gotten her body healthy, she's refreshed, she's emotionally refreshed. Lord knows she's motivated, not exactly coming back against a murderer's row of, uh, of other players. Who knows when we're going to see Serena again? I mean, a lot is breaking right for her. If this has taken an emotional price that's more severe than we think. If she gets booed and off she the started, court exactly, somewhere. she gets booed somewhere, or she loses a few matches, then she hears the whispers. Oh, you don't have you don't have these little helpers. Now look at your results. Yeah. I mean, I could see this going really badly or spectacular. I don't think this is going to be. Oh, she's going to have a middle ranked, ground. Going to be ranked 18 and get to the quarters. Like she's either back in the trophy winning business. Or else this is yeah. damaging her in ways that we haven't seen but yet. But she has a thick skin. I remember Maya being booed at the That's French Open point. like crazy. Yeah, yeah. She can feed on that. She can feed on being the villain. Right. She can find a, a motivation at being the villain. And I am honestly, I'm, I don't know how she's going to feel back, but I have issues thinking that Maria is going to care about this much, about what people are going to think. But what could be an issue if she's losing? Many matches yeah, from I, I this think, could what, what do you mean by people? I mean, I, I don't think players, she gives a shit. I don't think she gives a shit what players some thirtieth ranked player thinks. Players yeah. or fans. I don't. But, I, I don't think if she's, she's on this thing and she has sponsors and she understands good. I mean, yeah, I, I but think the basis that, is. I mean, she has a fan. She has a fan base. She knows that. She knows that there are people out there supporting her and and that they are also vocal. So if she's getting booed at one tournament, I am not sure she's going to think, "Oh my God, everybody hates me. It's terrible." 
No, but I'm, like remember last year we came here and players were very guarded, and we later learned that this email went out to WTA players, mm-hmm. basically telling them to curtail their Whether displeasure. They or not, yeah, there. exactly. Um, I don't think Maria cares if Coco or Kristina Mladenovic, it's who are two players out. that were outspoken. I don't think she gives a shit about that. But I think when when Nike says we're suspending our relationship with some of these sponsors, then I think it's a different conversation. So I think – I don't think Maria cares what other players are saying about her in the locker room. But I think if this becomes a general issue – I mean business-wise. Business-wise. Then I think it's a different conversation. Mentioning business, did you know a fun tidbit? The Russian – hear about this? The Russian label for this Sugar Pova chocolate – you haven't heard this, I guess, no. from your face. No. And the Russian label says, like, unlike the nutritional information, says does not contain meldonium. Mm. Making it's true. Uh, make, wait, I don't understand. It's, it's, it's a bit like of iron. Wait, it's no, a bit of irony, it, or yeah, just like, the ingredients list. It's, it's like does not contain meldonium. Just a joke. Oh, little, joking, mel- little, joking, little, little meldonium no. humor from Sharapova. It's, it's, it's eleven the situation. Yeah, you know. No, I mean, it's, we're going on tangents here, but the science on meldon- meldonium is still uh, still out. Still out as in. Inconclusive. Uh, yeah, vacant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I think, I think it's so blurry. That's, the, that's right. the whole thing. It's not a clear case. If it had been a clear case, there would be maybe if it was clear e- if it was answers. EPO, this would be very right. cut and dry. As, it, as, yeah. as it's not a clear case, it's like everybody's like, oh, what are we going to do? What should I think? A lot of players told me, it looks bad, but at some point I'm not sure, so I don't know. Yeah, well, I don't the know. one thing I will say, it's never a clear case, right? No. So. Troisky's afraid of needles, and someone's mom bought him the wrong prescription. Every case and, like, is so messy. Every case is messy, and so there's no one. Size no one ever all. says like, "Oh yes, uh, please it's go to your conversion." Odesnik, Odesnik was the most Prefta, open shot. Prefta, well, Kenyas yeah. were quite straightforward. Right, yeah. Anyway, with the no, it's, it implicates all sorts of issues that make for. Good conversation. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be interesting. It'll be you fascinating. See you see one I know. To do What's our time code on that? It? We've just gone half an hour. Uh, half, pretty much half an hour. Yeah, but you see that? That's why tournaments, they want Maria. No, it's, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be with Vika coming back uh, here right. midsummer. She's targeting, uh, with, uh, yeah. with, uh, Sharapova coming back. Serena AWOL and on the verge of 24, but who knows if she'll ever play again or God no, knows. I mean, Serena. Also, I, I it's just a lot going like, on. And I think it's Maria case. I think it brings in a lot. I mean, it's, I mean, it brings in a lot of issues, right? So yeah. it's doping and it's the mechanism. Star and power. Star power and cast and tournaments versus players. It's like a, I mean, I think it's, the discussion is healthy. I, I think reasonable people can disagree. And in some ways it's a sort of an interesting jumping off point for a lot of issues in tennis. Um, we're going to keep this segment. We'll queue into a, a more British focused one with Russell, Ful- Russell Fuller, BBC, which is talking. The Brits have had a much more I think sanctimonious is a fair word for a take on the Sharapova stuff in general. Would you, what would your reaction be if let's say French open gives her a wild card and then Wimbledon doesn't, if there's a split, Honestly, which I think, I think is I it's very possible. possible. I think for grand slams, you can, you can honestly hear both arguments of, we want to make an example, and we hear that's not a clear case. She had a ban, and we give her a second chance. Both arguments can be defended. I think I think, I think Wimbledon probably desperately wants her to crack top on her before the cut it comes. Oh, just no. they don't, sure. just they don't have to make yeah, the choice. Sure. Get her into like the number ninety-four Wimbledon in the rankings. Denied sure. British players wild cards on the grounds that they didn't think their precious spots in the draw were. Exactly. They have a cut of like two top two fifty or something. They have a but some floor. years they've said, you know what, we're going to the rankings because none of these yeah. jokers deserve it. So Wimbledon, yeah. well, point being, Wimbledon takes this. Wimbledon is the road wild card giver. They don't do the reciprocals. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. And also Andy Murray has been pretty vocal about That's this situation. Maybe it's going to be right. tough for Wimbledon to say, you know what, Andy, we hear you. We don't care. I don't a, t- a, t- a tidbit I heard actually. Apparently, Joe Conta was walking out of this room after she lost. 
And I guess I, there's very few British press here. But apparently said as she was leaving, oh, I'm disappointed nobody asked me about Sharapova. I had thoughts. I wasn't here, but I heard apparently she said that. So at some point, if anyone wants to, if everyone's talking to Kanta anytime soon, ask her. She's apparently got thoughts. And so the Brits, the Brits are a different flavor. John, thank you for being here. Any other Pleasure. last thoughts before we let you go? Okay. Carol, you good? Thanks, guys. <laughs> thank you, Ben. Thanks. Thank you, John and Carol. And now, lastly, here's a conversation I had with Russell Fuller, the BBC tennis correspondent, about the particular British sensitivities and proclivities when it comes to dealing with the specter of doping violations in sport and more specifically their reticence and opposition to a red carpet approach, as they would say, to Maria Sharapova's comeback. I'm very delighted to be joined by Russell Fuller, BBC tennis correspondent, to give us sort of a British perspective on things. We didn't have Simon Cambers in the roundtable. He was missing from last year, so this is our makeup British person, <laughs> and you more than adequate, Russell. Token Brit has Token arrived. Token Brit has arrived. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, and not, again, like I was, we were just saying right before we started, not that every single British person is in lockstep about this, but there does seem to be a, a particularly noticeable different sort of British attitude or, or tone or whatever you might want to say towards this case, and I guess maybe anti-doping in general, and I guess if you, seeing, reading the foreign press you do, or American press you do, if, if you can, I guess, if you can articulate why, if, what that is, and how the Brits feel about this case, Sharapova, and if it, where it might come from, or anything. It's definitely different, isn't it, Ben? And I don't think it's just down to this British intrinsic sense of fair play, because I think we'd all agree that when somebody is uh, banned, they serve their time, and when that ban is finished, even if you perhaps don't agree with the length of a suspension, and I'm not talking specifically about Sharapova there, then life goes on, and, yeah. and that person deserves a second chance. I think maybe the fight against doping is viewed slightly differently in the UK, in that people certainly feel, many people I think would feel, more so than perhaps in the States, that if you come back it doesn't necessarily mean that you should have all those privileges that you were awarded before a doping ban. And in the case of Sharapova there we're talking about the fact that she'd be entitled to unlimited wildcards as a sure. former Grand Slam champion or, mm -hmm. or WTA championship winner. And if that was perhaps different, uh, and therefore she didn't get a wild card for the French Open and Wimbledon, I imagine that that would be better received in the UK than it would in the United States. So, if you're But you're talking about revoking privileges beyond the 15 months, doesn't that sort of seem like she's still, there's an attitude that she still deserves some sort of penalty or some sort of, I don't want to say maltreatment, but some sort of disadvantage, even after her time runs out on April 26th, whenever it is. And it's a very, very subtle distinction, isn't it? Because yes, and I can absolutely yeah. see that other way of thinking. Yep, you're back. Life carries on as normal. You have served your time. Welcome back. The other argument, and I think this is the argument that perhaps more British people would support, is that if you are convicted of a doping offence, then actually some of these special privileges you have earned in the past should perhaps be relinquished because you have fallen foul of the doping regulations. And I think that is one particular standpoint. And maybe the other thing is that perhaps we are all a bit more cynical. And understandably, there's been quite a publicity machine, a PR machine, put forward by, by IMG yeah. and Sharapova's agent, as you'd expect there to be. And I think that generally, I'm not saying American journalists aren't cynical, because I know you are. No, I think but, certainly there are people who run the wrong way by that in America, too. You too, yeah. Certainly, and I think yeah. more people, the, the British mentality and personality and psyche is perhaps going to be more wound up by that than perhaps in the United States. Now, knowing Max, I don't know if you've dealt with Max Eisenberg directly, mm -hmm. but his approach, I can see it being particularly, he's a very 
um, I don't know exactly how to describe it, very New Yorkish, you know, just sort of in your face, kind of direct person and blunt and, and pushy in a lot of ways. I can see offending British sensibilities just in decorum. On it and just and yeah yeah we, we, we certainly like blunt speakers in, yeah. in in the UK but I think it is just a, a different approach and it, it, it's perhaps something that we are less or we are perhaps slightly more resistant to or we don't feel quite so comfortable with that uh, sort of heavy PR approach mm-hmm. um, a couple questions on that so uh, just just a couple of points you raised the first one is I guess on the share public specific case which is you say doping offense and that you make it sound very black and white and the cast ruling and I get in the ITF ruling also in very different language mm. they both concluded it was not an intentional mm-hmm. cheating situation not intentional doper didn't shouldn't be called a cheater per se mm-hmm. should there be shades of gray in that if she was essentially taking something that was legal missed the the note that said it was no longer going to be legal as of the clock turning midnight on January 1st and uh, you know tested for it three weeks later failed the first test she took, wasn't trying to conceal anything, came forward right away. Uh, should that earn her any points or is just doper is doper is doper? Well, I think... I think there's just there's just sort of, I think it just seems to be that, that D word that gets used mm. or C or cheat or whatever, whichever choice word you yeah. want to use seems to be more of a mark of Cain and just a, well, that's it. It's, it's that simple. Maybe well, sometimes the, in British circles, the the the, the c word, the, the the cheat word, is a very emotive word. Clearly, of course, I I prefer to be fairly neutral about it and talk about her falling foul of the doping regulations w- without getting into the nitty gritty of the case. If you get into what happened and the various verdicts, then you're right. There's lots for both sides to take from respective verdicts. Yeah. And as we saw, the Court of Arbitration for Sport, they put less onus on uh, the athlete to uh, look after her own there doping was, There was affairs. no sole author, author of her own misfortune as the ITF No, said. and I know Max Eisenbud feels very strongly about that, and I know that Maria Sharapova's lawyer, John Haggerty, he came out and said that the ITF verdict was pure fiction and, and really went on the attack against it. But I suppose, yeah, it is hard, isn't it, to... When you're discussing what should happen after the event, as we were, I think you just have to say... She committed a doping offence. She was banned for 15 months. Welcome back, Maria. But I think it's just a feeling in the UK that it would be no bad thing, many people think, if she perhaps did have to work her way back and earn those ranking points by competing in lower key tournaments, which is the point that Andy Murray and Caroline Wozniacki have made, amongst others. And I know other players have been on Maria Sharapova's side, yeah. like Simona Halep and Venus Williams. They don't have a problem with it, but I, but I do see the other side of the argument too. And I think and I think what we were saying in the earlier roundtable, which you weren't able to join us for, is that we all think optically, ideal scenario is she plays French Open qualifying. She gets a wild card if needed into there. Shows that she's at least one where doesn't think she deserves a complete, you know, crystal staircase all the way to the main draw. But it's willing to put in some token hard work to say, hey, look, I'm not above this. I have zero ranking points. I'll go do it. And I don't know if she's resisting that and, or if Eisenbutter or whoever in her team thinks that's, oh, she's above that, blah, blah, blah. But I think it would be optically a good thing. And it would yeah. buy her, I think it would buy her a lot of goodwill. I think it would be an outstanding career yeah. move if they came out and said, now, look, we appreciate that Maria's not going to qualify by right for the French Open. And... It, she'd probably still need a qualifying wildcard, wouldn't yeah. she? She's got just Stuttgart. She unless needs she, to reach she, the final of Stuttgart, yeah. and then she would be automatically into the qualifying draw almost certainly. But given the strength of that draw, as we were discussing yeah. the other day, first tournament back, 15 months out, eight of the world's top ten there, 
if if she reaches the yeah. final and she don't catch, she really yeah. deserves her place in French Open qualifying. I guess just more, I'm just more curious about the British attitude of it, and we'll get to Wimbledon in a second. But I feel like this is re- relevant background. You mentioned the sort of cynicism, and I've seen almost the opposite of it. I feel like in recent years, in terms of cycling in Britain, mm-hmm. which I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure you're an expert on. I'm certainly not an expert on it, but I remember just being, you know, exposed to. I see more British sports coverage that I can read English compared to most other countries and seeing a lot of earnest excitement about, uh, you know, Bradley Wiggins, Froome, Chris yes. Hoy in this era where we had just in the U.S. come off of a, a, a what seemed to be sort of a national verdict to never trust cyclists again. Mm. And it seemed to be this sort of more, more or less wholesale enthusiasm about Team Sky and doing things the right way and stuff. And so I don't know. Do you, and now, now if I don't know exactly, I know there's been news about that recently. The narrative is turning maybe bitter. There's some a lot of question marks. There's a lot of it. questions to be answered. Yeah. I, is that is that moment or other sporting? I don't know. Mo Farah has had veiled things said about him as well. Mm-hmm. And there's the Nike Association and things like that. Are those other things in the culture? Do you think making people want to make sure? And I'll, and and with Lance, it was uh, David Walsh, who was a working Irish, but working in a mm-hmm. British paper, uh, who was a primary instrument in investigating Lance. Do, do all those things? I get the sense that there's more of a British desire or to be on the right side of it or to, to appear tough now. I mean, I mean, not appear tough, but to be tough and to mm-hmm. say, you know, this is bad. We're going to stand up against this. There's no letting it slide. Is that do all those things yeah. paint a fair picture? Yeah, I, the think, landscape there? I think that's uh, something that runs quite deep through the British psyche and, yeah. and British journalism. The Has it always been that way? Is it reactive to something, do you think? I think it's certainly been that way since I've been in the in the industry for yeah. around about 20 years now. I think with a sport like cycling, even though there is a lot of cynicism about drug taking in the UK, and that includes suspicion of British athletes, cycling is a is perhaps a good example of despite the problems in the sport in the past, and no, no one substantial has failed a positive test. It's just that there are questions for British cycling to address and Team Sky to address. When you have the extraordinary success that Britain had, particularly at Olympic level and now on the roads at the Tour de France, then I think you still do get swept up in it. Mm-hmm. And you you really want to believe that uh, everything is absolutely in the US for sure. as clean as you are told it is. And I think questions were always asked, but questions are now being asked to a much greater extent. Yeah. Um, as far as that, that British sort of idea goes to uh, Wimbledon, you're a British tennis insider. Uh, what, what are you sensing about Wimbledon's current position? Obviously, they're you know position they're happy with. I'm guessing that they don't have to go first mm. on this. The French Open will make a decision first. Not necessarily that the Wimbledon will follow in lockstep with whatever the French Federation decides. And there's also a possibility that Sharapova can accumulate enough points where mm. she can get in directly to main draw. Uh, which I'm guessing, I'm thinking, I've you know heard indirectly that that's probably what Wimbledon's hoping for. They could sort of pass on the whole decision and get her just inside the top 100 where mm. they don't have to worry about it. It would be very convenient, wouldn't yeah. it? And it's nice for Wimbledon that French Open have to make that call because there's no way she can qualify directly for main draw entrance other than through a wild card. My hunch, and the decision genuinely hasn't been taken yet. Yes, yeah. sure, conversations will have been had between those who are likely to make the decision in the end. Uh, my hunch from conversations with, with, with a few people, both inside and outside Wimbledon, is that maybe they are leaning against giving her a wild card that would be my hunch at the moment but a lot can change and it, it may be a completely academic debate and there's a very good chance i think that maria sharapova will make it through to the qualifying competition and that then asks the question of whether roehampton which is not ticketed and hosts the qualifying 
competition away from the main Wimbledon site, a few miles away from the main Wimbledon site, is able to deal with the media interest, the spectator interest in uh, Sharapova being there. What I would say about the All England Club is that even though that qualifying competition is, is by no means their uh, shining example of their Not work, and they're very, very aware of that, that this will have been thought through. It's not suddenly going to be a case of, oh, whoops, Maria's in qualifying. What are we going to do? Yeah. There will be contingency plans in place, I'm sure, they're especially if they sort of, feel they're not going to award her a wild card. They almost might have to sort of design if they decide to keep her. If she does play the qualifying draw and chooses to and agrees to do that, I mean, she could say, I'm not doing this. You know, forget you guys. I'm going to wait until the U.S. hardcore season or something. Um, if she does play Roehampton, I almost want to make a new court for her or something because there's nowhere... I mean, those of you who haven't been to Rohan, Rohan is basically a large field with a bunch of lines drawn out that they call tennis courts, more or less. And there's a couple that have a slope next to them that could probably seat comfortably uh, 100 people on the side of the hill. Um, and beyond that, no, just media alone would easily, with cameramen and everything, mm -hmm. would all be there getting footage of her and the fans. It would be a, and Murray said this in his pre-tournament press in terms of the, the logistics of her coming back at a 10K qualifying with no ranking, which is where you usually have to start if you have no ranking whatsoever, that just it could be a security problem and a logistical problem that these tournaments aren't. And Roehampton, even though it does have the All England backing, I, doesn't, I don't think they have the logistical powers to handle that kind of circus. They've never had anything like it before that I can think of. The closest it came was Marcus Willis. I mean, yeah. it was not quite the same. No, he was, he was not quite on the radar to the same extent as Maria Sharapova at the time. Was he? I, I know it's something they're working on anyway. It's not as if it's. Do you think suddenly, they might ever play her? Like I think we mentioned this. You, the, you thought court. that she if, might. If they might put her on like Stadium play. Three or something, or Court Seventeen or something like yeah, or Court Eighteen, I, the, the that something. I don't think they'd want yeah. to because the potential then is for three matches to take place there. It sets a precedence. It distorts the true nature of the competition yeah, of when one player plays somewhere else. But I'm sure it's something that would be considered. Whether it's possible to build a temporary stand around yeah. one particular court and ticket that one particular court for Sharapova. Uh, it's, 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 it's not an impossible thing to do, is it? It yeah. would have an impact on the other courts, but with a bit of planning it could be done. And it's, uh, it's potentially a, a messy situation, which is why I'm sure there are many in the All England Club who hope that Maria Sharapova does string together some good results at those three tournaments that she's already entered into and, and qualifies by right. But I think if you... If you if they make it if they make a decision based on the fact that oh but we can't really cater for her at Roehampton then that's not a way to go they have to make a decision which they think is in the best interest yeah. of the Wimbledon Championships. But to play devil's advocate or Sharapova's advocate, which I'm not saying are synonyms in the sentence, I guess do you think that I mean Sharapova has been used in Wimbledon promotional materials for mm -hmm. what 13 years now? She was a 17 year old blonde champion phenom who's been, you know, that clip of her falling to her knees and after beating Serena has been used, I'm sure, countless times. has led to all sorts of money. She sold many tickets on major mm. courts for a long time. Would them holding their nose and giving her a wild card be the most offensive thing to them? Even if they're not, you know, do it with the enthusiasm, they might give a wild card to Tara Moore or whoever else they might trot out there in, in place of that. Or does they give some odd wild cards at Wimbledon or they just don't give them all and give them to the next direct ends. But do you think, do you think just in this sort of, in their character, there's enough animus against what she did or this this issue that they would make, they wouldn't just say, eh, you know what, let's just give her a wild card. It would be a gamble. She's still very, very popular in the UK. She's yeah. got lots of fans. There's no question that if she does get wild cards to Wimbledon or any of the grass court events, people are going to 
buy tickets and they yeah. are going to want to see her play because as we know she's uh, one of the very very biggest stars in the game I, I think Wimbledon will look at it as, as what they think is best for the championships what they think is best for the sport and I think it's a gamble if they do give her a wild card it might be that she wins a couple of matches and people just love seeing her back and it's a huge success but because there are many people who feel it's not about punishing Maria Sharapova to a ludicrous extent. It's just that principle that I was trying to stress when we started talking, that actually, should you therefore be given the privilege to automatically go back into the main draw of a Grand Slam, or should you have to work your way back in the way that other players have done? Viktor Troitsky, he got two wild cards, didn't he, when yeah. he was working he his game. way back. He played a lot of qualities. And, and he played a lot of qualifying. So should somebody who's a five-time Grand Slam champion automatically retain those rights that you could argue she has sacrificed by falling foul of the doping regulations. And I think... Accidentally, in theory. Yeah, but she's still fallen foul of the doping regulations. That's my point. Yeah. I don't really want to get into the nitty-gritty of the case because we could be here for hours and hours and hours. Not that we have to to do that, but I do think it's interesting. This is where I'm seeing the sort of contrast. I think think we're other people... Outside of... It just seems more black and white. You know, there seems to be this... And this is... And Murray said sort of the same thing, too. And it just you know, well, every case if you every case has its own wrinkles, and that's true. I mean, the the recent cases we've had, Chilich, Troitsky, Sharapova, have been mm. very different scenarios, mm. and they've all very different facts and very different punishments, and all the only consistent is they all got reduced by CAS. But um, it's it's a it's a it's an interesting thing, and I, yeah, I just I'm. But I think I don't know. I don't know if there has. I don't know if there has to be a one size fits all scenario. No. You know, I think that I think that there can be looking at the details of these fully published reports and saying, well, in Sharapova's case. I think it's okay for her to be a special case in, in, in theory. But even if the crime is only not taking sufficient care about your doping responsibilities, then given the view of many people outside the sport that drug taking yep. is rife in tennis, then you have that responsibility, particularly as a Grand Slam champion, to uh, make sure you are taking your doping responsibilities very, very seriously yeah. and either checking and double checking and triple checking or make sure somebody's and, doing that on your behalf. And, I think she's and if you it. don't do that, yeah. then that, it, that that causes a major problem, doesn't it? And, and therefore, that's why I think you just yeah. do have to say, well, look, she has committed a doping offence and, and therefore you, you, you treat it like that. And when you decide what happens next, you, you make a call on that basis. And I think with Wimbledon, uh, perception is very, very important. Uh, they, along with all the Grand Slams, are very much at the forefront of the fight against doping. They've yeah. increased their funding in recent years. Will they think it sits happily with their brand, I hate that word, but their they're reputation and their image to award a wild card to Sharapova so soon after she's returned from 15 months away from the tour? Yeah. Uh, last thing, just to mention Andy Murray a couple of times in here, and he's been one of the more outspoken people about doping. Um, how much do you think he's a leader on this topic in, at Wimbledon? Do you think Andy Murray's particular opinion, as as you know, the there's gonna be a statue of him there in a year now, pretty much, <laughs> being a two-time champion, defending champion, British first number, British number one, he's a knight now, hmm. or soon to be knight. Uh, is he? Do you think? Do you think he has personal influence? If if he ever came to them and said, you know what, just give her the wild card, if that would make a dramatic shift, or if he said absolutely do not this will be a disgrace to the tournament that he that his his power there is that he, great he what he says has influence i would be surprised if he went personally to the chairman of wimbledon and said please 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 don't give maria sharapova a wild card i don't think he would do that i don't think he would think it was his place but wimbledon will be very aware of what he said initially to the times newspaper and they'll be aware of what other players have said joe wilfred songer has said 
in yeah. terrifically colourful terms that he, Maria Sharapova should not be given a wild card to the French Open for the same reasons. Now, yeah. that's got to carry some weight with the federations, but I still think an organisation like Wimbledon is, is so big that if they felt it was the right thing and in the best interest of the sport to give Maria Sharapova a wild card, they will do that whether or not Andy Murray disagrees. Russell, this has been tremendous. I think everyone <laughs> will agree with that. Uh, thank you very much for being here. It's going to be a very interesting few months ahead of us, to say the least. Sure is. I'll see you in Stuttgart, if not before. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thanks. Thank you very much, Russell, and thank you guys for listening to this episode of No Challenges Remaining. If you want to follow along when you're not listening, you can do so by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash ncrpodcast. You can also follow along with us on Twitter, at ncr underscore tennis. And on both of those mediums, we definitely want to hear your thoughts on this issue. Tweet us your thoughts, your reactions on Sharapova's getting wild cards or not. We'll retweet once we get. And same with Facebook. We'll have a discussion thread going there about this episode and this issue. And we hope that it gets lively. And we hope that you engage with each other and hash this out. Because there's a lot of different valid opinions on how everything here that we've discussed and we didn't discuss uh, should be handled. And if you have other points we raised that none of our guests or myself mentioned, please bring those to the table as well subscribe to our show on itunes if you haven't yet and any other podcasting app of your choice leave us reviews there we appreciate all of those tell your friends who like tennis to listen share this link spread the word spread the gospel of ncr we'd highly appreciate it and if you have feedback for us on this show or any others or future episodes send us an email to no challenges remaining at gmail.com i think that's it for now we'll be back with you with a more regular indian wells rap show in the near future but until then bye Look like you were having such fun You always were and you always will be The taller and the prettier one People seem to love you They gravitate towards you That's why I started to hate you so much And I just completely ignored you